David was not abiding in the Lord in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. He forgot his purpose. He forgot the disciplines of a godly life, and he fell into terrible sin. We're going to visit this one more time, this time in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. David has sinned. He had an affair with Bathsheba. He had Uriah the Hittite killed. He brought Bathsheba into his harem. Chapter 11 ends with this statement, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Somehow David thought that he could hide this. And in chapter 12, we find out he cannot. Verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Don't you think a little shepherd boy would understand that? Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despise me and the took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. 
interesting twist in the story of David and Bathsheba in this way. When God confronts his man who sinned, he confronts him with greed. It's a parable of rich and poor. It's a parable of a man who has much and ought to provide for a traveler from his own flock. But he needs every single one of the thousands that he's got. And his greedy heart decides to sacrifice the one ewe lamb that the poor man possessed. God sees David's sin as greed. Now, greed is the unhealthy, inordinate desire to possess. And to nuance greed a little bit. Some of you saw Sage Katzenberg win the gold yesterday. Did you see this young man, 19, 20 years old, go down the ramp on his snowboard and do what really no human being can do? He soared through the air and completed 1,610 degrees of turn before he hit the snow and won the gold for the USA. Now, Sage was as relaxed as he could be. Did you notice that? He had kind of those relaxed clothes on, and they were comment, uh, commenting on how relaxed he seemed to be, just having fun. But I guarantee you this. Sage Kotzenberg has been focused on the gold. And he has poured his life into winning that gold medal. And the same is true for every Olympic athlete who is competing today and in the days ahead. They are focused on the competition and they desire to win. This desire to win, the Apostle Paul uses to describe the passion of his own heart for the things of God. And he recommends to us a kindred passion, the same kind of passion that ought to be in our heart. We need to be striving for excellence. We need to be striving for the gold. We need to go to the high point and the highest plane. We all want to live at the maximum level. All right? And that's good, not bad. The sins that entangle us are a distortion of and a twisting of something that is good. We need to be striving for the best we can be. But greed takes that desire that is in your heart that is good and it twists us into something that is truly evil. Greed goes beyond the boundaries. It breaks the law sometimes. The love of money is the root of every kind of evil, the Apostle Paul observed to Timothy. And it's true. Once somebody loves money, they will even go to the extent of breaking the law 
and getting locked up. When I hear Ray Nagin's name in the news and I see his face on the television, I pray for him. I hope it's not true what the trial is saying about our former mayor. It will be a blight on our reputation as a city if our former mayor goes to jail. I don't know if he did it or he didn't, but I do know this. He would not be the first who started on a crusade to root out corruption and became entangled in it himself. He wouldn't be the first, and he will not be the last. And when you fill out your tax returns, you make sure you're honest. Don't you break the law. I know you could keep some money for yourself if you stretch the truth. But it's greed that prompts us to go beyond what is right and expedient and not just in regard to legality. Miley Cyrus is saying that everything she's done, every nasty, abhorrent thing she's said and done in public is legal, okay? But legal doesn't make it right. Is that right? Legal doesn't make it right. Is it legal to commit adultery? Yeah, and, and we don't want to criminalize some of the things that are wrong, okay? But it's not right. It's not right. Greed breaks the tenth commandment. You're coasting along, going through the Ten Commandments, and you may be under the impression when you need to get to six, seven, eight, nine, that you're doing pretty good. Yeah, no, no murder. Mm, that's me, that's me. No adultery. Mm, that's, that's me. No lying. Okay. No stealing. Yeah, that's me, that's me, that's me. And then you get to the last one. No coveting. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or his automobile or his bank account or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, the word covet and the word greed are both used to translate the same Hebrew and Greek. They are related terms. Greed is coveting. It is driven by the heart that covets. Paul said, I could have been of such a great self-reputation. I could have lived along in my self-righteousness and considered myself a good man if the law had not said, thou shalt not covet. But I read, thou shalt not covet, and the law killed me right there. It put to death my self-righteousness, and I knew when I read, thou shalt not covet, I was a sinner in need of rescue. The law slayed me, he said, through the 10th commandment. 
thou shalt not covet. There's something pervasive about the 10th commandment. It touches us all. In varying degrees, when we look in our hearts, we see coveting. We walk by a home as we exercise, and we think, I'd love to have that house. Somebody drives by in the car we wish we had, or walks into church in the clothes we wish belonged to us. And it's so easy to covet. Moses, when he spoke to the children of Israel in his last sermon, Deuteronomy in your Bible, gave a positive spin on the first commandment. The first commandment is, no other gods before me. Moses said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And that's a positive look on the first commandment. No other God's is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Later on, he said, if you want to fulfill the law, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's a positive look at the 10th commandment, the other bookend of the commandments, thou shalt not covet. The 10th commandment is the only one that mentions your neighbor. Jesus summarized all your responsibilities before God with these two commands. Love God with all your heart, that's the first command. Love your neighbor as yourself, that's the 10th command. And between these parentheses are all the law and the prophet, and a man will do this, he will keep the law. But what man can? Anybody in the room who can keep the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. What's disturbing about the 10th commandment is that it works its way right down into the heart. We look good on the outside. Look like we're clean, a clean dish, a clean cup. And Jesus said, you see those folks? They look clean on the outside, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. It's how he described people who were literally hypocrites who cleaned up their act on the outside but retained all the ugly stuff on the inside. You see, greed goes right to the heart of who you are. It's about the condition of your insides. Greed tells you that it will satisfy you if you will have more. Just a little more, and you will be satisfied. The problem with greed is, starting in the heart, it pollutes the man. It draws his attention from the God in whom he must abide. And he begins to seek his peace, his fulfillment, and his security in the stuff which he accumulates. Now, Jesus said, 
a man's life does not consist of the things which he possesses. He said, greed comes in every kind, all sorts of greed, he said. And a man's life does not consist in the things that he possesses. But we get tangled up or we start thinking that life is better, it is higher, it's on a different plane, we are more fulfilled, we have more peace, we'll be happier people if we have more stuff. It's the pollution of the heart, and it trips us up because it's not true. Greed is never satisfied. Greed never says enough. It wants more. This rich man in this parable does not see himself as the richest man. Oh, no. He's got lots of sheep and cattle, but he needs every single one of them, and every single one of them are dear to him, and he doesn't want to release a single sheep, not a single goat, and when he has to prepare this meal for the man who has who has come to journey. He would prefer to sacrifice the single ewe lamb of the poor man than to sacrifice his own. And you'll know there's greed in your heart and you become a slave. Something became twisted in you. When it comes to the point where you ought to pay and it is on you to do so, but you'd rather use the money of a poorer man to pay the bill than do what's right and true for you. You want to hang on to that money enough that you'll risk your reputation and you'll risk your relationships and you'll cut corners and you'll do what, when you think about it, you know is unethical and immoral and shameful and stingy. But you've got to have it. You've got to have it. And greed says, I'm going to satisfy you. I'm going to fill you up. Once you get to the million-dollar mark, you're going to be so comfortable. You're going to be at ease. You'll be able to retire. You'll finally be satisfied and secure. And when you get to the million-dollar mark, greed will say, that's not enough. You've got to get to two. And when you get to two, you've got to get to four, and then to ten, you see? And there's never any end to it. And the insidious nature of greed is this. You don't have to have ten million to be greedy. You can be as poor as this man who had one lamb and still be greedy. There are those who looked at this man with one lamb and thought that he was rich. It's all relative. And the man who has 10,000 cattle can see the one who has 100,000 and feel himself to be poor. It's all relative. It does not satisfy you. It's a trick. It's a lie. It's not true. The one who dies with the most toys wins. That's a lie. You don't win with the accumulation of these things. That's not even the substance of your life. Nothing intrinsically wrong with the toys, men. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with a house or a car or a big bank account 
or real estate, they are morally neutral. There are people in the Bible who had much, and some like our Lord, who had little. It's not about that. A man with little may be envious of a man who has more. And a man who has much may be envious of him who has more than he. Greed can settle at any level of the economic staircase. It can invade your heart wherever you find yourself when you fill out your tax returns. No human being on the surface of the earth is immune from coveting and from greed. And it is a dangerous and awful trap that falls upon the soul. The scripture says that greed makes an idol. Greed makes an idol. See, that was fundamentally what happened to David. It happened in his heart. Fundamentally, he got away from loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And his mind and heart wandered off somewhere else, and he knew it from the first. And when he repented, he said, Lord, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Yes, greed is you sinning against the God who made you, the God who has been generous to you, who has been wonderful to you. Every good thing you enjoy in your life has come from the God who is full of generosity and love. He loves to give. Freely he gave to you. And yet you say, it's not enough. I want more. You've got wives. You've got houses, David. Why do you have to have the single solitary wife of the poor man Uriah? What's going on with you? How did you get so twisted on the inside that you would take her? Just got to have more. I can't stop. I'm addicted to it. It's my life. Being rich is not a sin. But longing to be rich is dangerous. And really, it's a lousy goal for you. You don't want your, your goal of your life to boil down to stuff. Far better for you to talk about a goal that is inspiring and that lifts you. A goal of loving God and loving your neighbor and blessing those around you. Far better to do that. I talked to a man this week, just a couple days ago, in fact. And he's a very wealthy man. And he was talking about his values. He's gotten up in years. And he said to me, you know, the things I really value and cherish are, are the values of family and loving one another and honesty and, and hard work and, and diligence and patience. And he was just going through these qualities of character. And he just came into a fabulous amount of money and he said I don't want to be the richest guy in the cemetery I don't want to be the richest guy in the cemetery that's not the goal of my life I got to thinking about the richest guy in the cemetery and started thinking, if you were going to go find the richest guy in the cemetery, where would you go? Would you go over here to Metairie Cemetery across the interstate? Find one of those great big tombs? Would that be the richest guy in the cemetery, do you think? Who really is the richest guy in the cemetery? I tell you this. 
he's not there. They're all broke. There's not a single guy in the largest tomb in the finest cemetery maybe in the world, just across the interstate over there, that took a single nickel with him when he died. He came naked into this world out of his mother's womb, and he left just as naked when he left. He didn't take any of it. Now, you can be like the Pharaoh. And suppose you know I'm going to have all my wealth surrounding me when I die. They're going to pack the gold and the silver and all of my treasures into the tomb. They're going to seal it up so I can enjoy it in the afterlife. You think, that'll never happen. Did you see, did you see the, the fellow who had himself buried on his Harley Davidson in a glass case? How'd you like that? That was curious, wasn't he? He bought enough plots in the cemetery so he could put his Harley and they put a rod in the back of the corpse and he's sitting there on his Harley and they buried him just looking like that. I've, through these years, I've buried people with different things in their coffin and, and that's okay. Had one guy had a shotgun in his coffin. Yeah, and, and that's all right. That's okay. You know, it was typical of his life and so sometimes they buried with their Bibles and things like that. It's okay. But let's not be under the illusion that somehow we get this across the River Jordan by putting it in a coffin. See, death is the great equalizer. If you're supposing that the one who dies with the most toys wins, I have a word from you, from Jesus, who said to the rich man, who just kept on building, you know? He grabbed it here and he packed it behind him. And he grabbed it here and he packed it behind him. And he packed it behind him until he had to build more storage rooms and more storage sheds. You know, I'm gonna tear these down, I'm gonna build bigger ones. I'm gonna put all my stuff here. Now, he's, is he worried about stuff behind him? He, nah, he's just packing it back there. There's something about packing it back there that's supposed to work. And Jesus said, you fool. You neglected Lazarus, the beggar, at the gate. You never said a kind word to him. You fool. You focused on your stuff and you packed those storage bins full. You fool. This night, your soul shall be required of you. Then whose shall all these things be that you have accumulated? Who's going to get all this stuff? It's not yours anymore. When you feel your knee bending and your head bowing and you start giving devotion to the stuff, you mark it now. You are tangled up, brother. You are tangled up sister greed the scripture says is idolatry the thing about greed is it doesn't just break the last commandment thou shalt not covet it breaks the first no other gods before me and everybody in the room needs to keep an eye out because you must always be on your guard, Jesus said, against all kinds of greed. Don't let it happen to you.
that when they summarize your life it's just the bottom line you had before you took your last breath he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose the truth is the greatest treasure you have is the Lord Jesus who saved you Jesus said don't lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal and then here's the zinger for where your treasure is there will your heart be also I am convicted when I read thou shalt not covet I think Lord forgive me for getting my eye off you and longing for somebody else's stuff keep me from greed protect me from it because it poisons my own heart and my relationships as you age I think the good things about you get better and the bad things about you get worse you know there's something about the aging process and so young people fight greed by worshiping God and God alone and cultivating a spirit of generosity have a reputation as a generous person not somebody who is flippant not somebody who discards money not somebody who sees things as worthless because they're not worthless they have worth and our discipline of these worldly goods is very, very important. It's not that. But have a reputation for somebody who understands the value of the things and the money, but who has maintained a loving and generous heart and is focused on relationships, loving God, loving others, rather than the things which we possess. Charles Spurgeon tells the story of being called to a home when an old man died. The old man was hard, he said. And he wrote about how when they got there to the house, the man had died with his key rings in his hand. And they had to pry his fingers loose from those keys that opened all his possessions. Don't hang on to the stuff like this. Hang on to God like this. Let your heart be his. And you will be healthy and whole. And you will reach your maximum potential. Because the maximum you is in the channel of God's grace. Bow with me, please. A private moment.
between you and God to look at the real condition of your heart where you really stand what you really love what you're really devoted to Holy Spirit go ahead and convict us shine your light in us help us see the stuff that comes between us and you and us and the people we love help us see it things that tangle us up that hold us back and hold us down Lord forgive get our hearts right God we pray in Jesus name Amen